Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you. Great to gather together for our morning service. Um, if you are watching online, I'm sure you prefer to be with us in person, but it's great that you are still able to, to join us in this way. And if you're here in person, you're a visitor or a newcomer, somebody here for the first time, a particularly warm welcome to, to you. Please do stay behind for some refreshments afterwards. It'd be great to have a chance to, to get to know you there. This morning, uh, we're going to be continuing in our sermon series on the, the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity of a fresh start as he causes us to be born again. And today, we'll be looking at how he brings us freedom. The way most people understand freedom today is being able to do what I want to do. And the trouble with that is we don't always know what is the best thing for us. We end up sometimes making a mess of our lives. The freedom that Jesus offered, the freedom that, that Leslie knew, and that we can experience through the Holy Spirit today is the freedom to live our lives the way God designed us to live them. He's the one who made us. He's the one who knows what is best for us. Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave is no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Good, let's come now to, to the Lord in prayer and bring him all of our various petitions and requests. Father God, we do thank you for, for the freedom that can be found in Jesus. Thank you for the joy of knowing that because of what he did for us, giving his life for us, we are no longer condemned. And we thank you that as we are freed from slavery to sin, we're no longer slaves, but we are your children. And we can know the joy of speaking to you as our Heavenly Father. We thank you for the loving kindness that you show towards us as our Father and the many gifts that you, you give us. As we give you thanks for the freedom from sin that you, you give us, we do pray this morning for those who are in particular need of freedom. Pray for those who've become enslaved to addiction to drugs or alcohol, to gambling, to eating, to sex and pornography, to video games, to shopping, to work, and many more things we could say. In your mercy, Lord, we pray you would grant freedom. Pray for those who are victims of the violence of others, those suffering from domestic abuse, be it physical, sexual or emotional, Victims of people trafficking. Those who are exploited in the workplace. Those who are imprisoned for their faith. Those in Ukraine and other parts of the world where they're fighting for the freedom to live normal lives of peace that we take for granted. In your mercy, Lord, grant freedom. And for those who feel they have lost the freedom to live normal lives because of physical or mental illness or disability, or grief, or relationship breakdown. 
and your mercy grant freedom. Father, in whatever situation we may be in, whether we have many needs or few needs, we pray you would grant us the peace and the joy that comes from your spirit. And give us minds that are set on what you desire, which is ultimately what is best for us. Father, we pray for Colin and Vicky as they prepare for their wedding day next week. We pray that you would take any Take away any worries or anxieties about all the practical arrangements and just enable them to enjoy that, that special day. Thank you for the love they have for you and for one another. I pray you'd bless their married life together and their ministry. Help them as they adjust to their new life as they learn to put the needs of the other first. I pray for Vicky as she moves to Longcrendon becomes part of this church family and this community. Help her in that, we pray. Father, we pray for our witnesses of church and pray this morning for the work of Toy Box. Thank you for those parents and carers and their children who come along each week. And thank you for the team from the church who get alongside them, who talk to them, make them feel welcome. And pray that you'd raise up more to, to join that team. Pray for those short talks that take place as part of that and uh, uh, this term on what it means to be made in the image of God. And pray that they would uh, resonate with those listening. Pray they would prompt them to want to know more about you. Pray for the team who will be taking the service at the Medicroft Care Home this afternoon. That they would be a blessing to the residents there as they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. As they show his compassion and they sing his praises. Father, we pray for our overseas missionaries and lift up to you this morning, David and Binny in India. Pray you'd give them wisdom and perseverance as they continue to lead your church there with the truth of the gospel. We pray for them and the particular challenges they're facing with those in the church questioning the authority of scripture. Give them grace and strength and the way they respond. Pray you'd bless the children and young people in that church. Pray for the other two co-pastors as they re- prepare to return, that you would restore them refreshed and re-energized. And we pray you'd encourage the church members living over the border in that neighboring country. As we pray for our missionaries, we thank you for the work of the Shunem Trust, for the, the generous provision of these homes, for those who manage and maintain them. And for all those missionaries who have been blessed by that work as a result. We pray that you would raise up others to, to get involved going forwards so that it will be able to continue in the future. And finally, we pray for Terry as she reads your word shortly. And for Saab as he opens it up to us. And for all of us, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to meet with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to read uh, the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8. Very familiar, I'm sure, to many, many of you. I hope you don't mind, but I think it's quite easy to miss the first verse of a reading. So I'm going to read the first verse twice. Therefore, there is now... No condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Terry, thank you so much uh, for reading for us this morning. Uh, Before we start, uh, let's uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for these words, Uh, your words uh, to us. I pray that by your spirit, Uh, Might you stir our hearts, Uh, might you unstop our ears, might you quicken our minds. Pray that you would speak to us uh, by your spirit and lift our eyes uh, to the throne room of grace. Help us to see who we are because of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So we are continuing our series uh, this morning, uh, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of the believer. And this morning we come to the third aspect of uh, his work that we're looking at, and that is freedom. Now, freedom uh, stands up and against uh, its opposite, uh, that of being oppressed, uh, addicted, or or enslaved. Uh, Being unable, if you like, to control uh, or influence what you do, and you find yourself in a place where you're diminished, you're, you're, you're made less, where you can no longer fully be who it is that God has called you to be. It's a freedom uh, that releases us from the past and a freedom that allows us to flourish as we go forward. 
And we'll see this morning that's precisely what Paul is showing us uh, this morning uh, as we look at this part of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. And in our reading this morning, I just want us to see uh, two things. Firstly, there is no condemnation. So there's freedom from the past. And secondly, their minds are set. And it's going to be looking at the freedom to flourish. Okay, so freedom from the past, freedom for the future, freedom to flourish. So firstly, uh, there is no condemnation. Uh, We're just parachuted into Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And we can see that this verse starts with that really famous word, therefore. Therefore. Now, Paul's been setting out quite a big argument as he's been journeying through this letter uh, to the church in Rome. And he starts by telling the church that all of humanity, all of humanity, without exception, um, has been made for a living relationship with God. But, but, humanity has decided that it knows best. So we've made a series of choices and we've chosen things that we think will make us happy. And in the pursuit of happiness, we have railed against the rules and the commandments and the things that God has said will allow us to flourish. And the idea of freedom is a hot topic, isn't it, at the moment? That seems to be right at the heart of what society says it is to be human and to flourish. And the implication is that any sort of rule, any sort of rule whatsoever, they're bad. And that true freedom, true flourishing, comes from the complete abandonment of rules. Now, in an essay written by a chap who's not a Christian, uh, Mark Lilla, uh, for a media organisation called The New Republic, uh, he was writing about how everyone in culture values freedom, uh, which people have taken to mean no rules. And he wrote this. The dogma that unites people from right to left, unifying civil liberties absolutists, human rights crusaders, neoliberal growth evangelists, rogue hackers, gun fanatics, porn manufacturers, and Chicago school school economists is this. Give individuals maximum freedom in every aspect of their lives, And all will be well. He says that uh, the culture sees freedom from any sort of rule as the way to happiness. But, I mean, we know that doesn't work, right? And we just need to look at the world that we are in, especially the world that our children are swimming in. The notion that you can set yourself free of any rules and do whatever you want, and that's going to lead to happiness, uh, is just not anybody's lived Reality. Uh, so, for instance, the main methods of communications today are um, riddled with condemnation. Uh, even apparently inoffensive tweets can provoke an outpouring of bile and anger on social media. Whether it's being trolled or cancelled, condemnation is the currency of the world. It causes anxiety, depression, and just disintegration. Of the person. Removing rules doesn't eliminate condemnation. But rather, uh, what we need is 
for us to be free of condemnation, for us to flourish. And the way to do that is by having the right rules and the right restrictions. And the right rules and the right restrictions, they can really help us enjoy uh, something more, uh, allow us uh, to flourish and not experience harm. Maximum freedom without rules does not equate to getting the most out of life, does not equate to having life in all of its fullness. Imagine football with no rules. Complete freedom, like we've got on the screen here. Yeah? Freedom in terms of uh, the number of people that are playing. Freedom in terms of the size of the playing area. No touchlines there. Freedom on having a goal or not. Freedom not to have a referee, the one who apparently spoils everything. And if we have all of those freedoms, if we get rid of all of the rules and regulations... Well, we just don't have a game that is exciting and engaging to watch. We just have a bunch of people running around, screaming at one another, and nobody really knows whose side anybody is on, or whether a foul's been committed, or even if a goal has been scored. All you have is chaos. Complete freedom, a complete absence of rules, does not lead to greater enjoyment. It leads to destruction, chaos, and less enjoyment. But, introduce the rules, the pitch, the official, regularize the teams, and then you have the beautiful game. The right rules bring out the beauty of the game. And so for us, the right rules will take away the condemnation. They'll give us freedom. The right rules will allow us to flourish. They'll give us true freedom. It's true of sport. It's true of us. And that is the way that we flourish. And the Bible teaches us that God has in fact designed us and he's set us out uh, in the way that we are designed to flourish. The way that we will have life in all of its fullness. As I say, we've been made to live in a relationship with God and to love the people around us. Now, inside those rules, inside those boundaries, individually and collectively, we will flourish. But we've turned away and we've rejected God's instructions for how we're made to live because humanity thought that abandoning God's rules would give us freedom. But instead, we find only condemnation. We find ourselves as enemies of God. We've all sought to go our own way, to meet our own desires. And that's what Paul calls in verse 2, the law of sin and death. That without God that we would seek to live in a way that is not the best for us, not the way that God has made us to live. And turning away from God and his instructions, it's it's not a small thing. As we've sought our own freedom, uh, we find ourselves rebels against God. We find ourselves guilty of having worked against God's calling on our life. 
before God, humanity's natural state is condemnation. Humanity created by God for eternal friendship with him stands condemned by the creator. We stand as having been judged by God for all that we have done and found guilty and sentenced by God. The penalty for that is to be cut off from God eternally. Not only do we stand condemned, but left to our own devices, the penalty that we face is one that we can never, never afford to pay. We cannot make things right with God. I wonder, do do you feel the weight of that? But, but... Paul has been explaining in chapters 3 through 7 of this letter that God has done something amazing. Which is why Paul starts chapter 8 with the word therefore. So thank you so much, Terry, for reading that verse twice. Therefore, the penalty for our rebellion, the debt that was ours, the mess that we had made, that was made right by God. As we read in verse 3, that God sent his son to pay the price of our rebellion, to bear our guilt, our shame, to carry our penalty in full, in our place, so that we could be made right with God. Our condemnation fell into Jesus's heart. And because of that, if we trust in Jesus, we will be set free from the guilt and the shame of our lives. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We saw in week one in this series that the Holy Spirit, he is the spirit of truth. And for those who aren't Christians, he starts to wake them up. That they might see that they have indeed rebelled against God. A God who loves them and longs for them to be in relationship with him. And we saw that in John chapter 16. And if you're here this morning and you don't yet trust in Jesus, uh, know this. The Holy Spirit is already at work in your heart. He's opening your eyes and he is warming your heart. So listen, listen to him as he speaks to you through the service. And Paul tells us here in verse one that because of what Jesus has done, we are now in a place for those who believe, those who are in Christ Jesus, where there is no condemnation. No condemnation. We can enjoy freedom from condemnation. Now, this freedom from condemnation is a once and for all, once and for all, done and for all time. From the moment we trust, uh, we don't earn it, we simply trust and receive it, that through Jesus, the price of our rebellion has been paid. From that moment, all condemnation is gone. We stand right before God the Father. Completely, permanently, eternally. Amen to that. Once and for all, the things that we have done wrong, all the things we will ever do wrong, all condemnation, gone. Now we saw last week, didn't we, that having been woken up, that the Holy Spirit is bringing us to new birth. That by trusting that Jesus has done everything that we need to be made right with God, that we start again, that we have this new birth. The Holy Spirit comes and he dwells, he lives in us. It's not just that we are free from all condemnation in the past, but a new relationship with Jesus starts 
from that moment. We know him as our saviour and our Lord. That's freedom then to flourish. We have been set free from condemnation. And we now have a freedom for a living relationship with the King of Kings, the one true God. And that brings us to our second point. Their minds are set, verse 6, a bit cryptic. Uh, Once uh, we're reborn, once we've, uh, if you like, started again, we are a new people. I mean, the Bible literally says that we are a new creation. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and he spotlights the Lord Jesus and all that God has done in and through him to stir our hearts that we might long to be more and more like him. Uh, To move our hearts, to want to live the way that he calls us to live, to become more and more like him. The things that used to attract us, the things our minds were set on before we became Christians, they grow dim. As the spirit works in our hearts, he'll help us bring to mind just how much we are loved and treasured by God. Holy Spirit will stir our hearts to live for the one who died for us. It's seeing Jesus, the one who was utterly perfect, utterly without blame, taking our condemnation. The King of Kings dying in our place. That will set our minds on Jesus. Knowing that Jesus left the joy of heaven to come to earth for me and for you personally. Knowing that Jesus was stripped, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he was killed so that you and I might wear robes of righteousness and stand before our heavenly father and for him to see us as perfect. Allowing that truth into our heart, well, it will melt our hearts. Even on a hot day like today, it will melt our hearts. Jesus was killed. He lost his life so that you and I might have now and forever eternal life. And he does that. He does all of that to help set our minds on who the Lord Jesus is. For our minds to be turned to him. And as our minds are turned to him, set to him, our lives are transformed. As the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit works in our hearts to reform our minds and have them set on the desires of the Spirit. Take a look with me at verses 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, Paul tells us there are basically two types of people with two different minds. There are those for whom the mind is set on the flesh, on their rebellious nature, uh, on their own desires. 
And then there's the mind of the Christian. And the mind of the Christian is set more and more on what the spirit desires. And less and less on what the flesh desires. And it's a good question for us, isn't it? For us to ask ourselves, you know, what are the main preoccupations, the main affections and the main motives of our lives? You know, what do we concentrate our time and our energies on? Is it what the rebellious nature calls for? Or is it the mind of the spirit and what the spirit leads us to? Now, this is it, it, it is a process. Uh, we are made right with God instantly as a one off declaration from the throne of heaven. But we are not yet perfect. Uh, the desires of the flesh, of the rebellious nature, they continue, don't they, to pull and to play at our affections. But we are daily being made more and more like Jesus. Uh, for some, uh, the spirit's power is swift in driving out the destructive forces that we have. But for others of us, it's a slower process. But the spirit's presence in our hearts, it is the power by which our rebellion against God will be put to death. As the Spirit shows us just how much we are loved and eternally secure in Christ. As we trust in that, we, we, we have the strength and the power to let go of the things that our rebellious nature tempts and teases and presents to us. No, we trust in what Jesus has said, what God has said, and we live for him. And that will lead to life in all of its fullness, a life where we have freedom, true freedom, as we submit our lives to the call of the Spirit, and we live in the way that God has revealed for us to live. The Spirit will show us the restrictions, the rules, and the regulations that we need to submit to. So that we can indeed have life in all of its fullness. Freedom and fullness of life comes not from no rules, but from submitting to the right rules. And we saw that with the football illustration earlier. And what does that look like? Um, one quick example, um, telling the truth. Uh, it seems that uh, truth uh, in our world, our Trumpian world, uh, is no longer regarded as uh, worthy. Now... If I believe that I am free to lie to people, if it suits me, so in other words, no rules on truth, then over time, I will see that people who know me will become less and less likely to trust me. I'll get exhausted just trying to remember the lies I've told and to whom I've told those lies to. I'll be reluctant to share just in case I get caught out. Those around me, well, they'll never be too sure if the problems I have are actually real and whether they should lean in and help me or not. At work and at home, lies breed natural resentment and hostility when I'm found out. And eventually people will just distance themselves more and more from me. Eventually the relationships I have, even the close relationships that I have, well, they'll just disintegrate, they'll fall apart. And I'll find myself alone. The Bible says don't lie. It gives us an instruction. So be honest 
with yourself, with others, and with God. And that honestly means that over time, people will be able to trust you more and more. They'll be willing uh, to lean into your life, to encourage you, to support you, to help you. Uh, Friendships will be more genuine. Uh, They'll be deeper. They'll be stronger. Uh, You'll find yourself in community with people who actually know you and therefore can love you. You'll be more confident of sharing how you feel with God, trusting in his goodness, and that will just enrich your relationship with God. It won't always be easy. But living under the right rules and restrictions does give us the freedom that we need to flourish. And the reason we'll do that is because the Holy Spirit reveals God's love for us in and through Jesus. He spotlights Christ, the price that he's paid to rescue us. And in response to that, in response to that, we want to live our life like that because of Christ. We want to be like the one who died to rescue us. And the order of what Paul says here is really, really important. Uh, As a Christian, uh, we are reborn by the work of the Spirit through trusting in Christ's work on the cross. Because of that, because of what God has done, there is now no longer any condemnation. We first accept the truth. First, we accept the truth of that reality. And then we surrender our lives to the rule and the reign of Christ. And as we surrender our lives, then we'll come to obey what the Bible says about how we should live. So the order is we are saved first and we obey as a result. Saved, then obey. The order is critical. If we get that wrong uh, in our minds, uh, we won't be free. We'll just be enslaved again. We won't flourish will just be crushed. You see, the danger is that we'll start to think that God loves us because we're obeying the rules. Uh, The good news of Jesus is that we're made right with God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we do. It's his record that sets us free, not ours. It's his work that saves not ours. It's his performance that saves, not ours. We obey because our hearts have been melted and we want to live for the one who died for us. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts. And so we long to live for him, to do what pleases him. We're saved, then we obey. And that's living the gospel. Now, if we think that God loves us because we obey the rules, we'll become legalists. We'll become Pharisees. Someone who cares only for the rules and only for our own performance. And when life is going well, we'll become arrogant, we'll become puffed up, we'll start looking down our nose at those people whose life isn't as well pulled together as ours. But the moment you fail, you won't just be sad, you'll be crushed because your very identity is based on keeping the rules. 
and you will be whipsawed between those two extremes. That's being trapped under the law. So to close, an illustration, just to help us to see this, of someone living under the gospel and someone living under the law. Eric Little, Harold Abrams, both sprinters uh, for the UK running team in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. Uh, The rivalry between the two men captured in Chariots of Fire, a 1981 movie. Now, both men, really, really gifted runners, and they were contenders for the 100-yard dash, the gold medal in that race. Uh, Little was a devout Christian, and his sister didn't like the fact that he competed. She wanted him to do what her parents had done, their parents had done, and be a missionary back in China. And Little said to his sister that he knew that God had indeed called him to be a missionary. But God had also made him fast. And when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. When he ran, he ran to please God. His running was all about pleasing God. For Abraham's, on the other hand, his running was the thing that defined who he was. It was the way in which he proved himself worthy to those around him, to avoid the condemnation of those around him. He thought that the only way he'd be loved and well thought of is if he won the race, if he won every race. He said that when the starting gun was fired, he had 10 seconds to prove himself. He had 10 seconds to justify himself. He had 10 seconds to show that there was no condemnation for him. For Abraham's running was all about trying to prove himself worthy. As they got to Paris, it became clear that the final of the 100-meter dash was going to be on a Sunday. And as a devout Christian, Little wasn't going to run. He withdrew from the race. That was his best chance of a gold medal. He wouldn't compete on the Lord's Day. He withdrew. Abraham's won. But a friend of Little uh, gave up his spot in the 400 meter race so that Little could run. And as Little runs down that back straight at the end of that, uh, that 400 meter race, uh, you can see him, his neck, his head is thrown back, His eyes are open to the skies. His mouth is open. uh, And it's as if his uh, arms are flailing. But he said afterwards that what he's doing at that moment, he's pleasing God. He's worshipping. As he ran down that back straight for the biggest race of his life, he was pleasing God and he was worshipping. It's just delighting in who God is. Running to please the one who took away all condemnation. Little, he knew he was accepted by God and he lived only to please him. He knew that because of of, of his trust in Jesus, that there was no condemnation for him. Everything he did, everything he did, he did to please Christ and just for the joy of knowing him. Just for the joy of knowing him. Abraham's on the other side was trying to prove that he was worthy of no condemnation by dint of his own performance. But he was constantly crushed by the weight of having to rely 
on his own performance. Liddell's life is a gospel life. Abraham's life is a life lived under the law. I wonder where you are. Now, do you know God's pleasure as you work, as you serve, as you go about home, go about your recreation? Do you know his pleasure? Or are you serving, hoping to win his approval? For those of us who will turn to Christ and trust in him, the Holy Spirit has lifted us from eternal death to eternal life. All condemnation has gone. We are free of the past. And by the power of the Spirit in us, we are free for flourishing for the future, not just the immediate future, but through all eternity, through all eternity. And that is the power of the spirit in our hearts to draw us to be more and more like Christ, doing all that we can just for the joy of knowing him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, do thank you so much for your word. Uh, This great encouragement that there is now for those who trust in Christ, no condemnation. Uh, Once and for all, for all eternity, no condemnation. Uh, Father, I do pray that the truth of that, the freedom of that, the weight of that has been taken from us. Might we uh, just rejoice and delight in that truth. Help us to submit more and more of our life to you. Help us to know who we are because of what you have done. Help us not to thwart the work of the Spirit in our hearts, but to trust in the goodness of the one who died for us, that we might flourish now and through all eternity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been a wonderful message this morning of God's freedom that we can find in Jesus Christ. If you don't yet know that freedom, you'd like to know more about it, do please come and have a word with Saab, myself, or Colin afterwards. We'd be very pleased to, to talk to you about that. If you'd like prayer with somebody, um, there'll be a prayer ministry team in this corner over here. Look out for those with the, the red lanyards. We'd be very pleased to pray with you. Or just ask the person next to you. I'm sure they'll be very happy to, to pray for you with whatever needs you may, you may have. Do please stay for refreshments afterwards. It'd be great to chat and enjoy that time together after the service. And this evening we're back here. At uh, 6 o'clock, Nathan will be preaching from Mark's Gospel on Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. It's going to be great to see you there. Let me close with a prayer um, from Romans 15. It's our verse for the year. And just reminds us of the, the difference it makes as we put our trust in the Lord and the power of his spirit. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.